Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Trey Blocker Show. We have traveled uh, very long distances from Austin, Texas, up to Round Rock, Texas, to interview Congressman John Carter. Uh, thank you for coming on the podcast, sir. Thank you, Trey. I'm glad to be here. We, uh, we have just wrapped up a busy legislative in session in Austin, which I know you're aware of because your son, Teddy, is involved. That's right. Uh, and I think we're all still recovering a little bit, but I certainly appreciate the opportunity to come up here and talk to you about Congress and what's going on in D.C. these days. You bet. Glad to so, do it. Just uh, for the benefit of our audience, I want to give a little background on you. You currently represent District 31, uh, which covers Williamson County and Bell County in the heart of Central Texas, uh, home of Fort Hood, the largest military installation in the U.S., if I'm Actually in the world. In the world. Yes. Incredible. Absolutely incredible. Uh, you grew up in Houston. Went, I did. Went to Texas Tech University. I did. Proud. We are sitting in an office that is gray and red. And half black. Half gray, half red. And trimmed in black. black. Trimmed in black. Yep. With a big Texas Tech red, red, red Raider flag on the wall. Quite impressive. Yes, We're going to have to do more of these road shows. I, I like getting in someone else's office for a change and getting out of the studio. By the way, I want to point out my picture of the Phantom Warrior. Oh, wow. That is the mascot, if you will, of Fort Hood. Fort Hood. Right. Three, three, three Corps, which is more than Fort Hood. It's, it's all the surround. Fort Hood is a, it, it's a, it's a core headquarters. Okay. Fort Carson, Fort Bliss. So there's about 10 of them. So the 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 acreage of Fort Hood is something is a number that acreage always is big, amazes me. More, it, we 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 actually, I think the numbers that we roll through Fort Hood make us the largest. So what, how many troops there are right there now, at we're any given time? Pretty low. We're about I think we're around thirty-seven thousand right now, but we've been as as high as fifty-two thousand. That's impressive. So that's about the size of the University of Texas, probably a little bigger than Texas Tech. That's about right. So you also went to the University of Texas School of Law. Law School, yes. Sir. And uh, have lived in Central Texas for quite a long time. I, I found it Since interesting. 1964. 1964. Okay. And, and you, you carry the nickname Judge. Is that correct? Yeah, it's a title I earned 20 years on the bench. 20 years on the bench. Okay. So I'm told that when you're in D.C., in Congress, on the Hill, people refer to you as the Judge? They, they do. Okay. And all, even though I have two fellow judges in the Texas delegation, uh, I was there before them, and gotcha. and it's kind of it, it happened when I was I was elected to the steering committee my freshman term, and that's where you meet and all the leadership meets to determine what pe what committees people will be on, and of course the speaker heads up that committee along with the leader, and uh, I'm not sure when it was, but I learned something a long time ago. My granddaddy taught me this. He had a little picture of an owl sitting up on a on the wall that said, "A wise old owl once lived in an oak. The more he saw, the less he spoke. The less he spoke, the more he heard. Why not be like that wise old bird?" <laughs> so I like it. I always, when I go into a, a new environment, and strange, and Congress was a new environment, strange. Sure. But I did the same thing when I went on the bench. You need to do a lot more listening than you do talking. So you learn how the deal works. And so for the first three days I've been in the committee, I hadn't said anything. I had just listened, took notes, figured out what people were using to make determinations, kind of got, got my playbook ready, you know? Right, right. Because I, I had to get a position for all the freshman members of my class. 
That was my job. How many members were in the class? 36. Okay. And you were named as one of the top five freshmen out of that class. Yes, yeah, So how do you you get that distinction by just keeping your mouth shut? I have no idea. <laughs> I guess because I got elected to the steering committee, which is probably the best place to be if, you, if you're going to be part of the leadership of the freshman class. Sure. All the rest of them are more or less titles. You do you do a lot of work when you're on the steering committee. Okay, that makes a lot In of fact, sense. In fact, I I just got back on the steering committee just recently. I was I was on it for ten years, and then when I got to be a cardinal, got to be a, a chairman of an appropriations committee subcommittee. Then I went off the steering committee. But then this year I went back on mainly because I had some my friends that were wanting to get major positions, and, and I wanted to make sure they got their chairman. Sure, that makes Texas sense. Texas has a lot of chairmen. Right. And right. I want to be sure and make sure that kept going. So what is the official number on, on the number of congressmen from Texas? Right now, 36. 36. Okay. And we've got 24, I think, Republicans. I think it's right, or maybe 26. Sure. Okay. I forget that. Well, you know, I've never been good with math, so when people ask me about numbers, I usually don't have an answer unless it's my birthday. Yeah. That, that one I can remember. But um, So you f were first elected in 2002, and like I said, I'm not good at math, but you've been in Congress for a while at this point. This 15th year. 15 years. Uh, what made you run in the first place? Blowing up at the World Trade Center. Okay. When they blew up the World Trade Center, I was in, in Taos, New Mexico, with a bunch of lawyers and, and judges at an alternative dispute resolution conference. Uh, because the docket which is growing continuously, especially in growth areas like Williamson County. We're one of the, in the last 20 years, we've been one of the fastest growing counties in, in the United States. Right. They, were, they had started to develop alternative dispute resolution, like mediation, things like that. Uh, and you need to learn how to do that and how to find the, the people that are doing it and doing it well, and so you need to know something about it. So I went over there to learned something about it. We were in Taos, New Mexico, which is a nice place to be, and they blew up the World Trade Center the first day we were there. Wow. And we couldn't get home. All the planes were, were right. grounded. So uh, a good friend of mine, lawyer who used to practice right down the hall from me, Mike Davis and I went to El Paso, got caught a ride to El Paso, and rented a car. There were no cars to rent in Taos. Oh, wow. So we rented a car in El Paso, and then we drove all the way across the state of Texas to get back home. And while doing that, we talked about what we were going to do in World War III. Mm. He was an old Marine from Vietnam, and we were talking about we're probably going to get into World War III. Right. And I said, well, I've, done, I've, I've got enough time on the bench now that if I wanted to retire, I could. Um, and uh, maybe, I'll, or maybe I'll retire and become a dollar a year man. They used to have people that work for the government for a dollar a year, and I thought that would be a good idea. Sure. And he said, no, why don't you run for Congress? We are supposed to get three new congressmen, and one of them is going to be in Central Texas, I think. Why don't you run for Congress? I said, man, I never wanted to go to Congress. <laughs> Who wants to go to D.C.? Yeah, right? and I never did really want to go up there. But I said, well, you know what? He talked talk about it all the way home. And then I talked to my wife about it. We prayed on it, that's what we do. And then we kind of looked at our life and said, well, we, we could do this if this and this and this happened. And all those things started to happen.
And so we decided we were getting an answer. Right. So maybe I'll get in it. So I, I was, it was risky. But in my life, nothing I've ever done, if, I, if you don't take a risk, you're not going to accomplish anything. That's right. You, you got to lay it on the table. There's a, lot, there's a lot of times in your life you got to lay it on the table. And every time I've laid it on the table, sometimes it's been good, not so good, but most of the time it's been good. Sure. So we decided to lay it on the table. So I, I, would, I went a whole year without any income when I ran for Congress. Because oh, wow. you had to resign I had no place from to go. The, okay. the bench. I couldn't, couldn't run for Congress and be a judge. Right. Uh, in fact, I couldn't advertise that I was a, that I couldn't use the title judge in my advertising, <laughs> even right. under Texas law. Sure, sure. Now, they didn't care in the federal government, Texas law. Uh, and so I ran for Congress. And uh, miracle of miracles, I won. Here you are. Yeah. All right. So your wife, Erica, what does she think about it all at this point? She thinks that, that God has a reason for me to be in Congress and until we decide we, that we shouldn't be there, we should keep trying. Sure. Absolutely. Well, there's always going to be a lot to do, right? There is. So your wife, Erica, I noticed in your bio, the two of you met in Holland. In the Netherlands. In the yeah. Netherlands. Would right. you tell our audience about that? Uh, well, the university, I was at the University of Texas at the time. The University of Texas had a student flight. You left in June, you came back in August. Three-month student flight. And most people just going over to bum around Europe. Sure. But I was raised by a father who said, no kid of mine's going to bum around Europe. <laughs> so he said, get a job. Uh, I had worked from the time I was 16 years old on natural gas pipelines. Okay. And I'd worked in... I lived three months in Beeville, worked there one summer. I lived three months in Opelousas, Louisiana, both times by myself. And I worked on a pipeline in Opelousas, Louisiana, which is as close to a foreign country as I <laughs> you can get. Yeah. Right, fair enough. <laughs> and then when this came up, my dad was not being hard on me because he, he said, and I happen to know that Bechtel is looking for surveyors. Well, when I was a junior in high school, my old scoutmaster, who was an Aggie uh, civil engineer, got a bunch of his ex-scouts, and we on weekends went out and surveyed a subdivision in Beaumont. Hmm. Did, did it for about eight, ten weekends. And we learned how to do all the stuff you do on a, on a survey crew. Right. And he told me when he left, he said, now, if any of y'all ever get ready to be a surveyor, put down expert surveyor, even though you don't have any education <laughs> except what I taught you. Right. He said, because there's not an engineer on the face of the earth that isn't going to train you anyway. So it'll help you get the job. Right. And he was right. He was right. Okay. I wrote Bechtel, put out an expert surveyor, got a job, went to Holland, huh. worked on the pipeline. Okay. That's how I met my wife. So well, she, she wasn't working on the pipeline. No, was she, she, <laughs> she was a, was a uh, assistant manager of a, pla a place they called the Bowling. It was a Bowling Alley. It was okay. more than a bowling alley. It was more of a, a mall kind of thing. It was centered around bowling, but they had a pub and three good, expensive restaurants. Right. They had a, a dance place where you could do ballroom type dance, and they had another rock and roll dance place all under one roof. Any two-stepping? No Texas <laughs> two-stepping. No Texas two-stepping. Oh, that's unfortunate. <laughs> so, did you have a hard time convincing her to come come over here? She wouldn't even date me while I was there. We were friends. Okay. She had a, believe it or not, a Canadian hockey player 
for a boyfriend. Oh, wow. And everybody told me he was the meanest guy on the team. I would have stayed away. But he was also <laughs> in Canada. That's fair. fair. So <laughs> I guess I beat his time. Oh, there you go. And you have four children, six grandchildren. That's right. And uh, we were talking before we started recording, one of your sons is the head baseball coach at Round Rock High School. Yes, sir. And uh, they're doing pretty well this season. They're doing well, but we're not going to jinx them. Okay. So we're going to talk about it. All right. Okay. We, we will not <laughs> talk about it. I am a baseball it. guy. Gotcha. Well, and we're if you're a baseball juicy. guy, yeah, you got to have your your uh, superstitions, right? That's right. Okay. So we're not talking about baseball. There goes half my notes right there. Oh, no. Not, <laughs> I can talk about baseball, but not winning and losing. Gotcha. Yes. Okay. Well, I wish him the best of luck. So do I. Okay. Uh, <laughs> moving on. Yes. Uh, six grandkids. You get to spend a lot of time with them? I do. Uh, Teddy has two kids. And he's got our oldest grandchild, Mackenzie, and then Everett, is, he's two and a half, and the two twin girls my daughter, Gileana, has are two and a half. So those three kids will all be three in September. Wow. And uh, Teddy's wife is a stay-at-home mom, but she's an excellent employee when she works. Right. So, but Gileana works as a lobbyist. She is a governmental relations for Bernard's Electric Co-op. And so we're taking care of the baby of those girls oh, wow. after school. They have a little school they go to. After school, we're taking care of them while she's while the session's on. Sure, she'll do other things after the session. Right, right. So I've known Teddy for a long time, and um, I, I, I have to ask: is is he a good father? I think he's one of the best. <laughs> okay. I honestly do. He's a great father. He spends a, he spends really good quality time with his kids. Good. I'm very, very proud of both my sons. They are really good dads. Good. Well, that counts for a lot, as, as you know. It does. It means a lot. So you are currently chairing the Homeland Security Subcommittee on Appropriations. Yes, sir. What exactly are, are you responsible for in that role? Well, uh, a wide variety of things from Secret Service, Border Patrol, Customs, uh, anything to do with crossing the, the international borders. Uh, including the the inspection of fruits and vegetables, they're all under our umbrella. Okay. Although I don't, not sure we fund them. The Ag Department funds them, but the border is our is the center of my universe. Well, when 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 you're in Texas, it's a hot topic. A huge, hot, absolutely hot. Uh, it it seems like that's on the top of everybody's minds these days, and and I know you take an enforcement first approach to border security. Tell us what that means. Well, and I told, and, and we, Republicans are term limited on committee assignments. Okay. So you can only be a chairman for six years. Now they can give you, they can extend you, but they very rarely extend anybody. And so, you know, this is my last term as the chairman of, of this committee, and it's Mike McCall's last term as chairman of the authorizing committee. Oh, wow. I will get another subcommittee because mine is a subcommittee. Now, subcommittees are equal to authorizing committees in power, but it's a different system. Sure. So we're like a separate and apart world appropriators. Um, so this is my last, my last term. And what I want to see is get, get situational awareness on the border and then a defensive perimeter that is enforceable. Okay. You can call it a wall. You can call it whatever you want to call it, right. it's not all structures. It's structures, electronics, it's aerial surveillance, it's drones, it's 
aerostats, which are big giant balloons with huge cameras on them. It's <laughs> all, all these things down there. Sure. We have situational awareness on the border today. We did not have it when I started as chairman. We well, do not have a completely defensible border because of other things that have to be put down there. Partially, some of it is, is actual barriers in certain places. A lot of roadways we need because right. if you can't get down to the river, you can't catch them. Sure. And so those, those issues are real world, how you do it issues. And I'll be working on that. Well, and as you and I know, there are parts of, of far west Texas that you simply can't build a wall if you wanted to. No, that's exactly Because right. of the topography. So well, I, I tell people in Congress, if you build a wall in the Big Bend, you'll be building <laughs> on top of a 2,000-foot cliff. Right. And anybody that climbs that cliff, he, des he deserves not to have a wall. <laughs> <laughs> he deserves to get in. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. Um, you know, there's given the... Um, there's, there's always a lot of talk about comprehensive immigration reform, and I feel like that phrase has been used for, uh, honestly, the past 15, 20 years, but it has a different meaning to everybody who utters those words. Right. So w what do you view as comprehensive immigration reform? What would that look like? Well, I actually was on, and I'm one of the founders of what at one time was a gang of 20. Okay. But we were a secret committee that nobody knew about, and we met for almost four years, and we had some people get beat, and some people moved on to run against run for something else, so we slowly dwindled down. We started off with 10 liberal Democrats and 10 conservative Republicans from the House, and we sat down in a room, and we determined we would not kill each other, <laughs> and then we determined that everything we said would be secret. Wow. And our, Staff was sworn to secrecy, and the press was never to be involved. Hmm. And we kept that going for four years. And that's a miracle. That is a miracle. That's a Absolutely. miracle. Absolutely. We we produced a comprehensive immigration plan. Now, what I am I understand when people get bent out of shape about comprehensive uh, immigration plans, and most of our leadership is there. But the reality is what. Republicans care about, and what I hit the mic, I probably <laughs> okay. made a big loud thump just then. <laughs> what Republicans care about and what Democrats care about are different. Right. And in order to make compromises, you have to compromise in different categories of stuff. We are all about defense of the border, following the law, doing things legally. They're all about uh, programs. Uh, what categories of, of immigration visas you have, for what categories of people uh, they get off in. A lot of labor issues hmm. are very important to them. Uh, that, you know, they don't like the idea of immigrants, not because of immigrants, but they don't like them getting paid less. Right. Because they, they think that's hurting the labor. They're, they're very sure. supported by labor unions. So they have, they have issues in their party that will keep people from voting for an immigration bill because of labor issues. Right. Uh, they don't want these people because of labor. And quite honestly, labor unions are pretty anti-immigration. Sure, absolutely. And labor unions are big supporters. So you can't trade in a, if you do a border security bill first. They have no interest in that bill. Right. 
So there's nothing you can trade. They don't have an interest in it. Sure. But if you're talking about this bill, and yes, we may be able to have some more of Asian visas. I'm making this up. Right. To make a trade. You vote for this, we'll vote for that. That's why I can't comprehensive. It's, it's, it's what you can trade off to get both parties to come to the table. That makes sense. Problem is, in Washington, not very many people want both parties to come to the table. That's right. So you came up with a plan. And it's a good one. And what happened to it? It's in my desk drawer. <laughs> and Nobody how long? Would, the, neither the Democratic leadership. The Democratic leadership killed our program first. Wow. When they found out about it, they came in and said, stop, Ch challenge everything, don't let it go forward. We do not want the Republicans to get credit for fixing this problem. That's amazing. And then our people said, no comprehensive bill. It Why? Was they didn't want it. That was their policy. They didn't want a comprehensive bill. So I got real mad. Sure. Who John Boehner, you know, Boehner knew about us being there. Right. And so did Pelosi. They both acted like they didn't, but they did. Mm. And I said, um, look, I'm, I, you know, we did good work. We got a good bill. It literally has compromised it. It's going to take to get it done. Right. And you're not going to do it without it. But you don't want it, so I'm not going to give it to you. Okay. So and I've got it in my drawer, and you want it, you ask for it. I'd love to see it. <laughs> is is under, under well, lock and key? <laughs> I, that would be betraying a trust. Well, the, the desk we're looking at now have has no drawer, so I assume you mean the one in D.C. The one in D.C. Okay. Um, so why was the Republican leadership against comprehensive reform? Because that's what the people who support us were against. They feared it. It's all about how you define it, though. Isn't that the question? Yes, it is. Okay. I, I get the feeling, and, and I've, had, I've had people tell me this. They think, and these are people who aren't involved in politics and, and aren't very close to politics. They say the reason, they think the reason we haven't seen comprehensive immigration reform is because Republicans support big business who want the cheap labor, and Democrats want open borders. <coughs> Is there any truth to either of those? The statements? open borders is true, but it's not big business that's the issue. Okay. It's law enforcement that's the issue. Explain that. Well, everybody that comes across that border breaks the law. Sure. Absolutely. And Republicans have historically been pro-defense, pro-law enforcement party. Pro-business, big business too. Right. But if you want to talk about contributions for big business, look closely. The Democrats get more contributions from big business than we do. Interesting. You know, so it's you know it's 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 a big long-term perception. It's not big business is keeping us from doing it. I promise you that. It's we don't think people should be rewarded for breaking the law. So you bring up a very good point, and I feel like the media and the left have purposely tried to redefine the terms. You know, we used to call people who entered the country illegally, illegal aliens. That's right. no longer a politically correct term to use. I don't the, worry about politically correct. Good, that's very good to hear. Now the term that the media and the left want to use is undocumented migrant or undocumented immigrant. And that takes away the notion and the fact that it is illegal to enter this country. Uh, without permission. That's uh, right. 
and, and I think they've purposely done that, and I'm afraid they're, they're winning the, the war of words, so to speak. You see that with happening? The, well, no, it, that, it depends on how you look at it. With the media, you bet they're winning the war of words. But then the media is 85%, maybe more, totally on board with the Democratic Party. I think it's 98%. I, I, I would have gone 98 but the real world, it would have sounded trying, to give hyperbolic. A, trying to give Fox News a little break there. <laughs> right. So I noticed the other day that um, doing some research, the president actually has the power uh, to place a complete moratorium on all immigration. He does. Would having President Trump issue an executive order placing a complete moratorium on all immigration would that force Democrats and Republicans alike to come to the table and ask you to pull that plan out of your drawer and finally, once and for all? No, it wouldn't. It wouldn't. Uh, it would make our job on the border ten times harder. Why is that? Because they'd come like you can't believe. I believe. Because it's like this is the only way in now. We, we, the majority, the vast majority of the people come across are from the Hispanic nations south of us. Sure. But that doesn't mean that's all the people are coming across. I mean, we got people from every country and you get over towards California, you've got thousands of Chinese, thousands of people who live in Asia that come across from the California border. So it's the same border coming out of Mexico. Right. They're using the same coyotes that the people from Honduras are using. I don't believe that, first off, we are proud of the fact that we, we let a million people a year right. in this country legally. We're very proud of that fact. And by the way, as these Western Europeans start mouthing off to us, ask them how many Germans they let in legally into Germany to become in a pathway to become a German citizen, and it's none. But they sure do take a lot of refugees. And that's their stupidity. Right. So recently, just a few weeks ago, there was a bombing in Manchester, England yep. uh, we, that we've all heard about. And Theresa May, the Prime Minister of Great Britain, uh, held a press conference and announced this major solution in her mind to uh, addressing this problem of Islamic terrorism and her solution was censor the internet and I just about fell out of my chair when I read this uh, but I, I it would only cut off part of the communication system sure. that wouldn't that wouldn't do it right now they are using the internet very effectively to their advantage there's no doubt about that and they're very good at it I'll give them that I can't but, but that's not the solution to the problem right well, it, it's, in Europe, they definitely have an open borders policy that the European Union is quite proud of, and I don't think they're going to change it, no matter how many bombings there, 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 there are. We'll see. You're right. Absolutely. Uh, uh, the Brits have already pointed out they don't want any part of it. Well, uh, I, The Dutch have an election coming up. They're talking about they don't want any part of it. Right. Although I think they'll stay in. Uh, Germany is having an election, and there's at least several of those candidates she's going to probably win, but you know, she's not, she's not the most popular person in Germany. Right. Uh, she's an East German. I don't know if you know that. I did not. She's right. from the East. 
Okay. And so she's raised up in a different world. And her view of the world is a lot different from a lot of people in the West. And the West pay all, pays all the bills. In German, I got a German. I, got a I, German, I can tell. I got a German daughter, <laughs> a sister-in-law. And she says, we pay all the bills, and they get all the jobs. Right. And, of course, she's too old to work anyway. But that, there, So there's, a, there's an attitude in Europe that's not going along with all these people coming in. It seems like there might be a backlash, and there's yeah. the beginning of a backlash. I'm not saying that's the right thing either. Depends how you do it, I suppose. But, but you know, the Germans started bringing in workers legally from Turkey. Back when I was over there in 1964, they were everywhere. Right. Because they needed workers. They, all their workers got killed in the war. They didn't have people to do the jobs. That's amazing. And to some extent, we got the same problem. Right. It's right. not because of a war. It's because we're so big. So you brought up the fact that we let in a million people a year into the United States, which is more people than any other country yeah, allows probably in. Probably three countries. Right. Um, Maybe more than all of the EU. I'll check that out. Sure. But they just don't have, they don't, they're not countries that encourage immigration to citizenship. Right. We well, do. Let me ask you this, Congressman. Do we ever reach a point where we've placed such a burden on our natural resources uh, and our arable farming space that enough immigration is enough? Yes, absolutely. Are we at that point yet? No. Getting no, close? Our farmers produce better than anybody on the earth. You're talking about being able to produce. No. The resources you really ought to ask about are our schools, our education system. You ought to ask about our penal system. Heavily burdened by immigration problems. Right. Uh, I used to be a judge here. I used to have to give a head count of what the, our jail had to turn in a head count of people that they, we thought we weren't allowed to ask. We thought were illegal immigrants. These are all convicted criminals. Right. And they went to prison. Well, I mean, if they weren't here, they wouldn't be in our prison. That's right. Costing taxpayers. Might be in somebody else's prison, but they wouldn't be in ours. Right. Uh, it's a burden. There's a lot of burden out there on it. But in turn, they bring a lot. People, I, these people are, the people who come for economic reasons, I'm sympathetic to them because they're good workers. Sure. And they're good, most of them are really good people. I have nothing whatsoever against these people as human beings. Nothing at all. Right. Very compassionate for what they're going through. My position is I wouldn't want my children being under a cloud of illegality when they came to live in my house sure. and grow up in my house and I wouldn't I don't want their children to be under a curtain of illegality even though that illegality is only breaking immigration laws it's not a good way to live that's right why don't we sit down and figure out how to solve the problem and you can do there are solutions which means people have to follow rules but we can do it. Work permits, put people on, that's too complicated for me to go into, we have talk all, <laughs> you talk all day. Well, if you but give me a have, copy of that plan, I'll just review it later. Well, my part was, we use a tool in, in should, I, should I talk about this? What are we talking about? Congressman Carter is now my checking with staff. Immigration? Well, I'll tell you what I believe in. Corey? <laughs> we have, a, have something we do in criminal law, Felony criminal, I was a felony judge.
it's called deferred adjudication. Right. It means that you plead guilty to the crime you committed, and we'll put you on probation. We have enough evidence from your plea to put you in prison. But we're not going to put you in prison. We're going to let you, we think there's redeeming value for you, so we're going to let you go out on probation. Now, if, you, if we set, were to give you a sentence, it would be for a number of years. Mm -hmm. So let's say you had a, a second-degree felony, 2 to 20. Right. Okay? So we put you on five years, ten years probation. Now, if you violate that probation because you haven't been convicted, you're not going to get ten years. You're risking getting 20 years. And if in Williamson County, that happened a lot. Okay. Because that's why we kept our crime rate so low. Right. People knew you better toe the line. We gave them rules to live by, and they lived by them. We can do the same thing for people who broke our immigration laws. We say, here's your deal. Get to stay. Here's a work permit. You can come out of the shadows. You, you have legal status. You have no pathway to citizenship, only legal status. Sure. You can work. You are here to take care of a job and take care of your family. Don't do anything, those things. Don't take care of your family. Don't pay your taxes. Don't keep your job, you are going to be revoked and you are going to be deported without any appeal. But yeah. if you do those things, at the end of that seven year period, right. you will be, uh, you'll be allowed to stay again on a work status only mm -hmm. for as long as you can keep working. No citizenship. But no citizenship. You can't vote. If you vote, we'll kick you out of the country because that's right. against the law. Right. Okay, now, if you want to be in citizenship, get in the line. And whatever that entails, at the time you decide you want to be a citizen, that's what you're going to do. We're not going to go there. Sure. We're just going to say, whatever the situation is then, it could be what it is today, it could be different. But when, when you decide you want to be a citizen, get in the line. Because the people who did it legally are entitled to be there first. So what you just said makes a lot of sense. I'm afraid too much sense to actually become law. Actually, everybody, Democrats and Republicans, all liked it. Okay. So what's the timeline? We can't, we, well, I think, I will think, I think if we can get the craziness, everything's the Russians' fault out of Washington, <laughs> and we get back to, to real, a real world of trying to solve to problems, I believe that and other good ideas that are out there and a cooperative effort between the two parties, and I think under Trump's leadership, tough but fair, I think we can get it done. Well, I wish you the best of luck. Congressman, I have a long list of items I want to keep asking you about, but we're, we're quickly running out of time. But I do have to ask you about one more issue, right. and I do believe everything I read on the Internet. And the Internet said that you sponsored legislation to protect three different species of African antelope. I sure did, and I was proud of it. <laughs> Tell me dumbest quickly. Thing, dumbest thing I ever heard. <laughs> what what okay. was the problem? These three antelopes, I, I can't name them, Joe's skin. The three amigos. The right? three amigos, right. we call them. They almost don't exist anywhere else in the world. Because where they come from, they slaughter the heck out of them. Okay. The hunting population of the, of the United States 
has gone out and they have saved these three species of antelope. Uh, one of them's a big antelope. The, the scimitar is as big as a right. horse almost. And we, we in Texas are probably the number one leaders of bringing in all, you know, alternative species for hunting. And these, these game ranches that protect, they feed them, they give them vitamins, they do every, and they don't, they don't slaughter them. Right. They allow people to call the herd just like conservationists do in Africa. Sure. Or in, or in India, wherever they come from, and kill an X number. It costs you a lot of money to do it. Right. But it is a farm, a ranch crop, if you will, and we're the only thing keeping these things alive. That's right. Okay? And they said, well, they're certainly not a native species in the United States, but they're in endangered species in Libya. So therefore, you can't kill them. <laughs> that doesn't well, make any sense. Texas ranchers said, they're my livestock. Right. And you're not gonna tell me we can't hunt these animals. And that was the regulation that I went after. I said, that is the dumbest thing I have ever heard. These people are investing hundreds of thousands of dollars in these species. We are saving this species for the world. From extinction. And we have literally tried already as a group taking some of our species and sending them back to where they came from. Hmm. And they immediately slaughtered them and ate them for barbecue. <laughs> okay? So it doesn't, if we, we are trying to literally repopulate where they come from, right. but there's so many people that go out and kill them, they don't survive. In fact, I was in, um, where was that? Uh, Abu Dhabi, I think. And the scimitar is their native animal. Oh, wow. And I asked the Amir or whatever he was about that because I was in the middle of this, this three amigos fight back home. I won that fight, by the way, and I'm proud of it. And um, he said, oh yes, that's our, that's our national animal. He said, we only got three pairs. Oh, wow. Three pairs. Right. So I read that 90% of the world's population of these antelope are in Texas at this point. Oh, yeah, we are where these things live. Right. That's amazing. And they're well taken care of, and they're, we're gonna, that species will be safe for the world forever because of American hunting, hunting folks. Right. Well, congratulations on that common sense That's piece of legislation. I love those two Absolutely. Uh, Congressman, I greatly appreciate your time today. Uh, as is our tradition on the Trey Blocker Show, we like to have our guest close us out with some words of wisdom, a Bible verse, a quote. Uh, you have anything for us today? Well, my Bible verse has always been John 3:16, which everybody knows, but they asked Toby, you're going to ask for a quote. One of the quotes that I like is, be sure it's right and then go ahead and then keep on going. That's a quote from Davy Crockett. Ah, I like it. Very good. And, and he got just, him killed at the Alamo, but he still thought it was the right <laughs> thing to do. Well, we, we thank God for him. So. But you know what? But it's interesting. Just be sure it's right, and then go ahead and do it. Keep, keep going. Well, Congressman, I hope you continue to do that in Congress, and, and well, hopefully some good things will happen. I'll try. So thanks for your time today. Thank you for being on the show. Oh, my pleasure. I enjoyed it. Thank you, sir. Anytime. Come on back. We'll talk about the real rough topics. <laughs>